slides. It's on the screen. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, but uh, Luke, not the Bible Luke, the Pastor Luke, he's already told you. Uh, he's already told you what I like. He said, "You're a leper, right?" Um, but do we actually believe that? Like, your skin's not falling off. Um, uh, but if you, it's kind of interesting. You look at the Old Testament. There's a couple of passages, and what you see is you realize like leprosy is kind of the physical reality of spiritual sin. So it's like uh, you may not have leprosy on the outside, but your soul is rotting away and your heart is rotting. It's like that's kind of what the picture. Uh, the image that's given, but I think there's more going on with the leper. Um, he's not just someone who is like struggling with sin, because if you think about like what the leper do to get the disease, like sure there's some passages in the Old Testament where like God curses people with diseases. Um, but at the end of the day, like you can't really control if you get leprosy; you just get it, and you're associated with something unclean. You're associated with the outcast. No one wants to be around you. And so there's more going on than your outward, outright sin. Um, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Something that is often referred to as shame. Uh, what do you do with your shame? When you're associated with something bad, something unclean, something that no one wants to be associated with, but you are, what do you do with that? What, what does Jesus offer you? Because how do you ask for forgiveness for something you didn't do? Like, that's guilt. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, I want you to have that on your mind as we read this text. Where is the leper in you? Uh, Luke 5, 12 through 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and a great crowd gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Uh, please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, uh, we have just sung of your matchless grace. Uh, this unconditional love and mercy that we don't deserve, that we know is good and beautiful, and yet we run from it. We hide. Uh, we are prone to wonder, Lord. Uh, and we're prone to wonder for many reasons. Uh, our own shame, our own guilt, things we've done, things we've uh, had done to us. And I pray, Lord, that this morning you would move towards those places and show all of us, me and everyone here, that you are willing to touch those places and infuse grace into them. And you bring healing that way. And so, Lord, I pray that you would heal our hearts, uh, that you would show us that in you, uh, we are new creatures. Uh, we are transformed by grace. 
And so I pray that you would prove yourself to be a great redeemer this morning. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, When I was thinking about this passage, this awesome movie came to mind. Um, And it's this movie called Aladdin. And it's... Um, it's probably my favorite Disney movie. Uh, so I, I grew up watching Aladdin. If you remember the first scene of the movie, actually it's right at the very beginning of the movie, uh, they start singing this song about Aladdin who's just tried to steal a loaf of bread, and the castle guards see him, someone's accused him, and they start running around the city. Um, and the song is, Aladdin is this street rat, uh, this scoundrel riffraff. Um, and so they're like jumping around everywhere, bouncing around, and what you realize is like, like most of the city knows who Aladdin is. He's, he's this guy who lives on the city streets, he's stealing stuff, um, and it's like half, you know, most people don't like him, there's these women that do like him, um, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's over and over again, he's a street rat, he's a scoundrel, he's riffraff, and it's, it's kind of what's told over and over again. Um, Eventually, he gets away uh, from these guards, um, floats down on this blanket, is about to eat this loaf of bread with his monkey, Abu, and this little kid walks up, like he's skirmishing through the trash, looking for food, and Aladdin goes and gives him this loaf of bread. And it's like, Aladdin's a good guy. Um, Then these kids run off into this parade where we realize a prince is walking Uh, on horseback to the castle to meet the princess. And someone says, oh, here's another suitor for the princess. And what happens? These kids run in front of the horse, uh, and this prince, this wealthy person, pulls out a whip and tries to whip the kids. And Aladdin, like, gets in front of them, like, like, stops the whip, um, says something to him. But this is what the prince says. He says, uh... You're a street rat. You were born a street rat. You will die a street rat. And only the fleas will mourn you. And then the castle gates close in his face. And you realize, like, what more can Aladdin believe about himself? The whole day, you can imagine, the whole day people have been singing about him as a street rat. Uh, this scoundrel that no one cares about. He's worthless. He's useless to society. All he does is steal. Um, And then it's actually said, it's not something that is said very directly, you're useless, you're worthless, and no one will mourn you. Only the fleas will care when you don't exist. Um, I think that feeling is, is shame. Guilt is something, if you look on your notes, uh, Brene Brown is kind of an expert on guilt and shame, and she says, shame is focused on self. Guilt is focused on behavior. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I did something bad. And then skipping down, guilt says, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And then shame says, I am a mistake. And I think for a lot of us, we, we're more prone to live in the realm of shame. Like, we, we feel guilty about stuff, and it goes away pretty quickly. But we, like, sit in shame. 
we, we live in it. And it's, it's the thought of, you don't matter. No one cares. You are worthless. And you can go read thousands of blogs about people feeling worthless uh, and how to get better. Take a few self-esteem shots. Uh, look in the mirror and just say, dang it, I'm worth it. Uh, and go out on your day. Um, and that's kind of the solution. And I would say that Jesus offers a better solution. Um, he, he offers to move towards people that no one wants to be associated with. Uh, to connect with people, to touch people that no one else wants to touch. And that is the story of the leper. And I would say that is our story. And so I pray uh, this morning that we will hear uh, these words of Jesus. Um, so, uh, three things. The leper's dilemma, uh, the leper's faith, and Jesus' healing touch. So, the leper's dilemma. Um, if you look in your passage, uh, we have a man filled with leprosy. Now, leprosy was this disease that isn't very common today. Or it's like, there's still leprosy, it's just different. But it's like, you'd get these like... Um, like discoloration of skin and little white tumors would start growing and lumps would swell and they grow and grow and grow and eventually your, your arms would fall off. Like they would just, like your body would literally rot to death. Um, so when someone was diagnosed with leprosy, they were quarantined. Um, now, if you remember, a couple of years ago, there was this big Ebola scare in West Africa and 10, 000, over 10,000 people died. But if you went to West Africa and came back to the States, um, if you had any signs or symptoms, everyone was tested, that you were immediately thrown into a hospital, quarantined in this very specific special room where you were given tons of treatment, tons of special treatment, um, and people tried to figure out, like, okay, what was wrong with them? Medicine was given, all these things. Um, so very special care was taken um, to tend to this disease um, and keep people around them healthy. Uh, but so here's the thing. Flashback 2,000 years ago, uh, what do you do with someone who's unfit for society? Someone who, if anyone is around them, they're going to infect them with disease. They're, there's not a special hospital. Uh, there's not sophisticated doctors. And so when you were quarantined, you were thrown outside the city gates, and then the gates were closed. And then your fate is sealed. Like, you don't have a chance. Um, you're outside the city gates where no one's going to help you. Uh, but there's more to who the leper is, uh, the issues with the leper. Uh, leper. Um, in Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, this is also in your quotes and notes, um, the text says this, that lepers were given laws they had to follow, things they had to say about themselves. Um, and it says this, uh, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, do you hear that? Like, there were laws set in stone saying, hey, you have to tear your clothes. And you can't take a shower. You have to make your hair look like you hadn't bathed in weeks. You have to hang your head. And, and the, 
in case someone does come near you, like you have to yell out unclean. Unclean. You, think about that. What if that was your life every day? Like this reoccurring cycle where you looked in the mirror and you didn't say, dang it, I'm worth it. You said, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. You rehearsed it over and over again. I'm alone. I'm worthless. I don't matter. No one cares. What if, what if you rehearsed that every day? What do you think that would do to you? Um, you're told you are sick. You have to act sick. You're told not to come around anyone. Don't go, don't go near anyone. And just in case you do get near someone, you need to scare them off as quickly as possible. Uh, I think, if you think about it, the leper feels stuck. He's stuck where he is, and he cannot get out of it. And, and I would just suggest, I think a lot of us, like, we have phrases like Leviticus 13, 46, and 45 that we rehearse to ourselves over and over again. It's like we put on a name tag, we walk in a room, and the name tag says, hey, my name's Austin, uh, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, or Austin, I was abused. Or Austin, I'm single and alone and no one cares. And we, like the leper, we wear, or we think we wear, our shame on our sleeve, and everyone sees it. And if we think that, then we pull back and hide. Like, the leper hides. Um, he doesn't want to be seen. Uh, he can't be seen. And I think, for us, our, our shame does that to us. We have these all-defining I am statements. I'm single. I'm divorced. I'm alone. No one cares. I'm useless. I can't get anything done. And therefore, I'm undeserving of anything. I'm undeserving love. I'm worthless. Um, and so, like, if you think about it, how do you, how do you change from that? How do you grow out of that? Uh, if your shame is saying you are something, and you're not necessarily doing anything wrong, like, you just are wrong. It's, it's your identity. Uh, what do we do with that? What does Jesus do with people like that? Um, we have these cycles of kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy where we're like, we're awkward and weird and we're not going to make any friends, and that becomes our reality. It, we, work it, we work it out in social settings where we leave the social setting uh, and we go home and mourn the loss of no one likes me, I'm weird, I'm awkward. Um, the leper knows he's unclean, lives like he's unclean, um, and acts like an outsider. Um, so, here's the thing. Um, can I ask you now, where, where's the leper in you? Uh, is that a fair question? Um, maybe. Um, maybe the better question is, where do you allow your sin and shame of your past, of your present, uh, to paralyze you? To stop you in your tracks, to control you so that you don't move out towards anything. You don't try and change, you just stay where you are. Um, where do you allow the sin and shame of your past to keep you secluded from God, uh, from his church, from other people? That's a, that is the problem with the leper. That is his dilemma, is how do I change? How do I become different? This is who I am. I'm a broken mess. 
uh, I'm worthless, no one cares. Like, how does he move out and actually change? Um, and, you know, it's, what's actually cool is, like, the, the leper shows us something, and, and that's the second point, is, like, the leper's faith. Uh, how does faith enter into that realm? This kind of secret realm that no one can touch, that God can't get near, that other people can't get near, that we don't let anyone near. How do we let faith move into that area and change us? Um, so, second point, the leper's faith. What is faith? <clears throat> uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. So connected to faith is an assurance of hope and a conviction, a conviction that something is true that isn't necessarily seen. Um, faith has to be tightly connected to both of those. And I think, here's the thing though, a lot of us have heard, oh, just have faith. Uh, oh, God's got this, just believe. And it doesn't do anything. Like, and honestly, it's, it's this Christian platitude where it's like, oh, just do that and you'll be okay. And it's like, no, that's not true. Faith always hopes and acts on conviction. There's always action connected to faith. So faith is actively moving towards Jesus. What if we thought about it that way? In, in all the places of your life, faith is something that actively moves you towards Jesus. And what we see in the text, when... The leper moves into a city, a place he's not supposed to be. He, he's not supposed to be in the city. He can't go in there. But he moves into the city because he knows Jesus is there. He leaves his post outside the city gate. Everything telling him, you cannot go in there. Don't do it. It's not safe. You aren't supposed to be there. And he moves towards Jesus. Um, I think that's, that's what faith is moving towards Jesus when it's like you know you're not supposed to be there. It's not safe. You know, he could have been stoned to death. He could have been further banished outside the city gates. Um, but he moves toward Jesus because he knows he is desperate. He's desperate for change. And there's hope. There's a conviction that Jesus might actually do something. Um, but there's still doubts. Like, look at the text. Uh, he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Like, there's something about that that there's doubt there. Not doubt in Jesus' power. Doubt in Jesus' willingness. Like, think about that. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And I think that's the question that a lot of us ask is, does God really care? Does he really care about where I am? Is he actually willing to help? Is he willing to touch is he willing to care for? Is he willing to love? Um, we know he's powerful enough. We know the Bible says that he's a God of love and goodness, but like, is he actually willing to pinpoint that love and that touch on me? Um, and we struggle to believe that. Um, but again, faith looks at Jesus. Faith listens to Jesus. Faith listens to Jesus over our own voices. Now, if, if you think about ourselves, this is, this is hilarious. Um, that there's this basketball player. He's like been a, kind of a bum this, this summer, like trying to get traded, all this stuff. Um, 
So the fans aren't excited about him, even though he's really good. So Monday, or a couple days ago, uh, first game of the season at home, the fans were booing him throughout the first like half of the game, booing him, their own player. By the end of the game, they were chanting MVP for him. So it's like they're booing him one instance, and they're chanting MVP the next. Um, and I, I think that, that's kind of how we see ourselves. Like, although we're lepers, uh, although we struggle with shame and guilt, like, some of this feels like it makes sense, like it's tracking with our lives. Like, the reality is, in our good moments, we're chanting MVP. Like, I'm awesome. But in our worst moments, we're booing. Uh, and so it's kind of like we have this love-hate relationship with ourselves. And the reality is, I think if we are honest with ourselves, the hate wins out a lot more than the love. Where we don't like ourselves and we don't really expect other people to like us. And so for a God to say, I am willing, I will touch you, we don't really believe it. We have a hard time believing. We have a hard time putting our faith in that because what we feel around us feels so much more real. Um, the voices in our head of, you are worthless. You don't deserve love. Um, but faith looks at God's word and says, oh, Psalm 51. Uh, I will make you whiter than snow. I will cleanse you. First uh, John 3, I am your father and you are my children. You are a child that is dearly loved. Um, or this one I think is extremely important. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Like, that is beautiful music to a leper's ears. I am a new creation. The things about my past... Uh, whether it was my own actions or the actions of others against me, is no longer most true of me. What is most true of me is I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. That, that is what faith latches onto and holds onto desperately in our moments where we feel unclean. Like we should be an outsider. Like we should be marginalized and pushed to the edge. Faith moves toward Jesus latches on to Jesus. Um, you know, it, it, it does it against the will of those laws and phrases in our head that say you aren't worth it. Um, and that leads us to the last point of Jesus' willing touch. <clears throat> um, look at verse 13. After pleading with Jesus, saying, if you will, like if you will do this, um, Jesus doesn't just say, I will. He touches him. Uh, he touches the leper and says, yes, I will do it. Uh, and, you know, if there, there's one thing you don't do with a leper. Like, you, you don't touch him, ever. Um, Luke alluded to that earlier. It's like, no one touches a leper because they will become contaminated. They will be unclean. It's why they have to get kicked out of the city because they're going to contaminate everyone else. And, and Jesus comes in with this flashing neon red light saying, I can touch you and you won't be unclean. I can make you new 
and my goodness will pour out in your life, and it won't touch me. I will cleanse you. Uh, I, I was reminded of this picture I saw a long time ago. Pope Francis, um, he's, he's been a pretty popular pope up until very recently because he's kind of modeled his works. Like, his actions have followed his, his teaching. Um, and I remember seeing this picture of him uh, hugging this man. Um, this man uh, who had this disease where little tumors would grow all over his body. And, um, and it, honestly, yeah, it's like he's got little, like it's small tumors that have grown into bigger tumors, and you really can barely recognize a face. Like he's so disfigured by tumors all over his face, neck, hands, arms, like you really like, can barely recognize him as, oh, that's a human. Um, so he, he looks gross. Like, he looks gross. Um, but there's this picture of Pope Francis, you can look it up, like touching the man, uh, embracing the man, and, and giving him a kiss. Um, and it's just, you just know, no one has done that to that man in years. No one's done it. And so what you, yeah, that, Jesus says, I'm willing to do that with you. Even though no one's done it in years, even though you feel like no one cares, no one will touch you, I will do it. Um, Jesus invites us to let him touch us, to move towards us. Um, even though we feel like the divorce keeps us from him, uh, even though we feel like, no, we were sexually, physically, emotionally abused, and that is what I'm associated with, and no one wants to touch that. And Jesus says, no, I, I will touch that, and I will make you unclean. You will be associated with me, a new creation, the old having passed away. Um, it, this, this passage as a whole, it, it shows us Jesus wants to get his, his hands dirty with you. Like, he wants to infuse life into you by touching you deeply. Uh, the places that you don't want anyone else to touch, the places you don't want anyone else to go near. Um, this reminded me of uh, pottery making, or pottery throwing, rather. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, I just know it's really cool, and I like pottery. Um, but I, I watched some videos uh, some time ago, and it's awesome. Like, you, you have this cool dude, hipster dude, um, and he's, uh, he's, got this, he's got this wheel. <laughs> Uh, he's got this wheel that spins around, um, and he has lumps of clay sitting around, and he takes a lump of clay, and he throws it on the wheel, and it starts spinning. He kind of starts dousing it with water, and um, this, this lump of clay, all of a sudden, uh, has this potter's hands manipulating it, just like going and sticking the hands in deep, kind of pushing it out, pushing it back in the inside, raising it up. I'm not sure how that happens, but he like raises it up and, and back down, and, and so you see this potter like changing this lump of clay into something. And I mean, I think you could ask like the lump of clay midway through, it's like, how do you feel right now? And the lump would be like, this is uncomfortable and I don't like it. And <clears throat> I don't know why he keeps throwing water on me. Uh, I don't know why he won't stop. Um, but it actually takes a lot less time than I thought it would. After, after 10 or so minutes, this lump of clay has become a beautiful candlestick or it's become this beautiful pot. 
uh, this beautiful vase, and it's kind of out of nowhere. This, this lump of nothingness feels worthless into an amazingly beautiful pot that is functional, uh, that can be used, um, that people, yeah, that people want to have in their lives. Um, I think that that's what God does with us. He, he takes this lump of clay and he molds us into something beautiful. And here's the thing. There is no potter ever who has spun anything who did not get the clay all over themselves. Like at the end of it, the potter has clay all over him. And that is what Jesus is saying is I want what you have all over me and I want to give you what I have, which is righteousness, cleanliness, worthiness, glory. I want to give you what I have and I will take what you have on myself. That, that's what the cross is. It is Jesus putting himself in our place, saying, your addiction, your abuse, your loneliness, your scars, your pains, those are mine. And I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to make you new. If you would just let me infuse you with my grace by letting me touch you. Letting me manipulate you with my fingers and making you into something beautiful. Um, that is the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of the leper. That's what makes him leave his post and say, I want that. It's desperation and it's hope in a God who says, I love you and I won't push you away. You can come to me and I will make you new. Um, I'll close with this. The Lepers, they're associated with things that are bad. Um, guilt by association, shamed by association. Uh, think about it. You're in the grocery store, and your kid right there has a meltdown. Uh, who gets the eyes? Who, who gets the comments? It's the mom or the dad. Um, think about, like, abuse. Abuse is something that happened to you, but you are associated and connected to something that is unclean, and you feel unclean. Um, and, and God says, no, you, you associate yourself with me. Um, I am the one that you are connected to. That is what faith looks to, connection to Jesus. Um, for things that like, are undeserved, things that you can never get on your own. Um, when I was in sixth grade, I went to a Rolling Stones concert. Uh, I grew up on classic rock um, and was lucky enough to get to go to a concert. But it wasn't just luck because uh, I had some friends who knew a band member in the Rolling Stones. Um, and so we drive up to Turner Field in Atlanta um, and we get there and we're, we're handed these VIP passes. Um, and I'm in sixth grade, I didn't know what a VIP pass was. <laughs> um, but all of a sudden, we, we are going places I never thought I would get to go. We are seeing things I never thought I would get to see. Uh, we are interacting in ways I never thought I would get to interact because we had these VIP passes because we knew someone. We were connected um, to someone in the band. And when you're connected to Jesus, you, you can go places in relationships, uh, in the church, 
um, that you don't feel like you can go without him. Like, our shame drives us away from people, and Jesus brings the freedom to be yourself. Uh, Jesus brings the freedom uh, for you to move towards people, even though everything inside you is saying you can't go there. Um, but that is my prayer for us this morning, that faith in Jesus, we, we would actually believe what he says is true, and we would actively move towards him, move in the ways he would move, uh, as opposed to believing ourself, the laws of our shame and guilt. Um, that is an invitation to move towards Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word um, sometimes surprisingly offers words of life uh, where we see a leper and we see him get healed and we don't think it has anything to do with our lives. Um, But I pray that that would not be true this morning, uh, that we would see uh, our need to be connected to Jesus and that being not only just a source of change and a source of hope, but that being our life, that our lives are found in Jesus, uh, the one who loves us, the one who moves towards us, the one who's willing to touch us when we don't think anyone else will or we don't trust anyone else to. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you would sink your hands deeply into our hearts and mold us into new creations. And as we do that, Lord, I pray, as you do that, I pray that you would move us out into the world to love you and serve you in new ways with new freedom and new confidence in your grace. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.